You're listening to the most authentic place in sports. It's the Sports Headline Show. Here are your hosts, Sean Davis and Warner Sanker. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back into the Sports Headline Show. I am your host for today's episode, Sean Davis. No Warner Sanker for this one. With a big-time episode, a podcast-exclusive SP drops. Got a very special guest. Going to talk a lot about some X's and O's in today's episode, which is obviously, uh, if you guys know me, my cup of tea. So, so excited. And uh, you're, we're bringing on, you know, one of, actually, not one of, I, I tweeted this out, uh, probably, you know, top two. Uh, I, I, I mean, I'm kind of putting myself up as well, but a good friend or in this podcast realm or just Lakers coverage realm, X's and O's, Tim, uh, uh, founder, I believe, of the Basketball Index. Great stuff there, Tim. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well, Sean. Happy to happy to talk X's and O's. You know, audio maybe not the the optimal way to uh, to talk about you know scheme, but it's always a favorite topic of mine. So happy to be here with you. Yeah, absolutely, man. I really, really appreciate it. Um, so I do have a question for you, and this is something that uh, I'm kind of taking from another podcast, but I'm curious. Um, so put you in a scenario here, Tim. It's you're down five. This is kind of what the Lakers are in the other night. A little, little bit different, obviously. You're down five, 33 seconds left. You have one timeout. You're inbounding it from, like, let's say, from out of bounds at the end of the court. Are you telling your team you're going for the two or are you going for the three here? Oh, gosh. I mean, that's a scenario where I think you need to go for the three. Uh, you got to play to win if you're playing for – over time, you're playing for, a, you know, a 50-50 shot to win the game. So the numbers say, you know, you want to get the best shot you can. I'd be drawing up a play that gets me uh, gives me multiple options. Uh, but I, ideally, you're getting a three. But I wouldn't – it's not one of those situations where I think you're – yeah, no. With 33 seconds left, I'm going for a three. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I agree. And, like, the thought process anyway is like, okay, you make the three. It's a two-point game. You're, you're going to have to play the foul game more than likely anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. Because like if you go for a two, also, I think analytically speaking, like it's more proven that, you know, the two actually doesn't work that often or as often as people would think. So, yeah, I, I you have to take a three at some point. Take it now. Um, so, yeah, I think I am in agreement with you um, on the uh, taking a three here. You have a timeout, too. So I definitely agree there. Um Yep. Yep. So to get- there's usually the assumption that you can just free and you're not you're not just getting it for free most of the time. So yeah, that's I think that's part of the calculus you have to do in your head. Right. Um, so one of the things that Darvin, so obviously last season for the Lakers does not go well. Um, the Lakers, I call it one of the most disappointed, not the most disappointing Lakers season of all time. Uh, winning 33 games, Drake Bogle was on his way out. I was the biggest Darvin Ham, you know, I guess champion, I feel rather. Like, I wanted Darvin Ham. He was my guy. How excited were you when the Lakers went out and hired Darvin Ham? I was optimistic. Uh, he, with any assistant coach, it's tough to know exactly what you're getting with them. We, you know, from talking to as many Bucks writers and analysts and people who have been around him and followed the team for a while as I could, what I was able to gather was – he certainly had the leadership abilities that you need to be a successful coach. And in addition to that, from an X's and O standpoint, he's someone that was around and maybe contributed to offensively what Milwaukee did, but I, 
it was phrased in a way where it was like, you know, he was in the room. It was, you know, we've, we've been on group projects where maybe you're taking the lead, other group projects where you're, you're, right. you're like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. And, and you know, from what I gathered, he was more involved with the defensive side of things. They didn't have coordinators, as they call him, but he was certainly more of a defensive specialist. Uh, so, you know, there were some question marks. We don't, we don't know what his rotations are going to be like. We don't know probably what his offense is going to look like defensively we had we thought you know either he's going to be more a drop heavy guy or if he's doing what milwaukee's done the past two seasons he'll be someone that's going to lean into a bit more to defensive versatility from a coverage standpoint and that was something i was really looking forward to so if you can lock in leadership and you can lock in solid defense and then at least decent uh, I don't know the, the the four out one in thing. It's it's nothing unique. It's nothing special on its own. It's really about what you do within it that that has the value. But I was I, you know cautiously optimistic. He wasn't the top candidate. I don't think I had on my list, but he was he was one of the top guys. Okay, um, great conversation points out of that already. So really really quickly, I'm a big football fan. So like how I described when people say, "Oh my god, we're gonna be running this four out one in," like Lakers didn't do that last year. That's false. First off. Second off, I'm like, as a big football fan, I compared like everybody in the NFL runs shotgun, right? And like you said, mm-hmm. Tim, it's like, what are you running out of it, right? Um, and yeah, so that does excite me with the stuff they are doing. Um, and then you made a point about um, their defense and how the, the versatility, that is something that re- really, really is encouraging um, that we thought might happen coming in, haven't seen it in preseason, although we'll talk about that later. Um, but I'm curious, Tim, who was your number one candidate if Darvin Ham wasn't? Oh, gosh. I had – I'm trying to think. Uh, so Kevin Young was one of the ones I had really up there. Uh, he was He's the offensive okay. coordinator for the Suns. What they've done, yeah. I think, schematically is probably the best I've, I've seen uh, and would have been a really good fit. Um, so he was up there and he's someone that had been in consideration for other head coaching jobs in the past. He's really well liked by the players. So from what I could gather, he was a good leader, probably maybe not as, I don't know. It, it, that's such a, it's tough to gauge the soft skills for assistant coaches from assistant coaches from afar, but I knew for sure we were going to get elite offensive scheme and, you know, Phoenix has done a pretty good job optimizing their defense as well in recent seasons. So he, I think, was more of a known quantity for me. And that's why I had him a bit higher and knew that if you're not giving him a head coaching job, he's not going to leave there because he's already in a really good spot. Um, so I think he was my top guy. Ham was in. He was in the next group of, of dudes for me. So felt good about a couple areas, a couple question marks, nothing I didn't feel good about. There were certainly candidates where I was like, all right, this is probably going to be good, but I know this will be bad. So Ham was at least, you know, he didn't have those negatives going into the process. Right. I think that's a good one. Um, Kevin Young, he was in my top three, um, probably right below Darwin. But uh, where was Quinn Snyder at in your list? If, if you had him there at all, out of curiosity. Uh, he was someone that, if available, I would have had towards the top. Uh, I think early on when I was just listing everyone possible, he was in the top tier, but I just like took him out of my list. And I took, I think a couple other guys out of my list as well, just because I realized they weren't under real consideration. Okay. All righty. So now let's dive in kind of what we've seen so far this preseason. Tim, you did a great job. You're, you're currently doing a great job with uh, building out the Lakers playbook. I believe it's your pinned tweet on your Twitter page. Um, I'll definitely plug that in the bios and stuff like that. Um, 
going over the Lakers playbook so far, um, what's been your biggest takeaway, at least offensively, and has that cautious optimism offensively um, turned into like actual like general excitement, genuine excitement? How do you feel about the offense so far? Uh, genuine excitement is a great way to phrase it. It's well beyond what we are used to as Lakers fans. It is yeah. like good. It's not just like okay. Like it's really good stuff that they've yeah. been using. Obviously, it's very early. They've been installing a lot. The execution hasn't quite been there, and they've we've seen a good number of games without like real rotation players playing. Um, so the results haven't quite been as good as they could have been. As if the Lakers were playing like you know, their opening day roster rotation for every game of preseason, but the signs are there. Um, what stands out to me is as of going into last night, I haven't gone through last night's game. Uh, we did a, a live stream, but I haven't done a rewatch yet to, to log the plays. They've installed 31 half court offensive sets through, through four yeah. games and then 12 different out of bounds plays either from the baseline or the sideline. So what is that? That's uh, 31 plus 12. So uh, 43 sets and then pretty much an and entire motion, motion offense, offense as well. Yeah, yeah, so like that is well beyond what we are used to. It is a great, great start. And it's not just that like they're running a lot of things. They're doing so out of a couple alignments. So horns, think of these as formations. Horns, five out are primarily what they're running their half court sets out of. And then they have the four out one dunker, as I'd call it, for the motion offense. And they're doing a good job of attacking coverages and attacking the defense like when you watch football you know teams don't just call random plays you'll see them call play and then the quarterback you know point out things and audible at the line the reason they do that is because he's seeing oh this defense looks like they're in a a cover four so we're going to attack the flats or they're in a cover three we're going to attack the scene and they pick a play offensively that beats the type of defense that's being run and right. we're seeing the lakers do a much better job of that uh for example attacking drop coverage with uh, stack action or Spain action with veer actions um, and and just taking advantage. Of, and I mean, we can we can get into those the specifics of those if you want, but they're calling the right place to beat the defense that they're seeing rather than just kind of throw dartboard like we've seen for the past couple seasons. So that to me is an exciting thing because it's it's one thing to be able to have a big playbook. It's another thing to be able to have a very targeted playbook where you're running you know, you're all, you always have the higher ground on the defense is the way I look at it. Right. And yeah, I'm in total agreement. I mean, first off, I almost shed a tear when they ran beer, a beer action the other night. Um, mm -hmm. I forget, well, it wasn't against Minnesota. It was against uh, Golden State, I think, where we ran it. I legitimately almost shed a tear because that's just something that we didn't see. We haven't seen as a Lake, as Laker fans in such a long time, if ever. Um, and then the creativity, the play design that Coach Ham has and Chris Jen as well. Um, and I think the fact that they're using a lot of or at least a decent amount of double drag ball screens as well, especially in their break, is also a little bit surprising for me personally. I didn't expect that as much with this current roster, uh, but it does. I mean, it's, it's looked well. Um, and then again, like when you get into your half court, just your motion for all one in, um, and I tweeted this out, and I was in the Twitter spaces uh, the other last night after the game, and there was a clip, right, where this is when we ran uh, the action in the third quarter, I think. Russ clears through, uh, maybe uh, I'll put a film, like the clip up here in post, but Russ clips through, and then you have AD set a pin down, and Matt Ryan comes off of it. 
And D'Angelo Russell, he starts off a little bit tighter on Matt Ryan. But as the ball gets over to the weak side, obviously, he comes more in, the, in, in help and into the gap. Um, and they were talking about in the space, like, oh, man, like, this sucks. Like, hey, they're in the paint or whatever. Uh, you know, clogging up the paint. I'm like, well, first of all, that's just good defense. I mean, so that's what you're supposed to do. Right. And then <laughs> it's shell defense. Also, like, huh? Yep. I would say it's, it's shell defense. Like, uh, yeah, it's, you it's can just take screenshots. You can, like, look at pretty much every NBA possession and take a screenshot at the right time and be like, ah, the paint's clogged based on where the ball is, where the defender should be. You, you have right. to, you know, have a good baseline of where should the defender be normally and then adjust from there and say, oh, you know what? He's giving more or less respect. This player has more yeah. or less gravity than they otherwise would. Other Because if you don't take that into consideration, you're just describing, you know, how close the ball is to the player being defended. And I mean, like, if it'd be one thing if, like, his, if D'Angelo Russell's, like, underneath the basket or whatever, D'Angelo Russell has, like, a foot in the paint, right? So, um, and then obviously AD sets a good screen. And, and as I point out on this web, like, this is what the Lakers wanted, right? Russ clears through, takes his man with him. All AD has to do is set a good screen, and that should be a good look. And it was. Um, just like, like you mentioned, Tim, just attacking coverages and, like, as a play caller, and this is something a lot of, again, making some NFL comparisons here. Um, some offensive coordinators in football, they have this trouble, or in like head coaches in the NBA or offensive coordinators, quote unquote, in the NBA as well. There's like a rhythm you have to have as a play caller, right? And like knowing when to press certain buttons. And so far, at least offensively, it seems like Darvin Ham and his coaching staff are pushing the right buttons and knowing when to attack with certain coverages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we've also seen more of a willingness to run the same play two, three yeah. times in a row if it's working. Like, you know, if you're in drop coverage, I'm going to run the same play that beats drop coverage until you get out of it. Um, mm-hmm. And I love that. I have no complaints with that. I think that's the right approach. You know, make them adjust. Don't try to guess when, they're, when they'll adjust and start calling different plays. Like, run the good plays until they adjust and then run plays to beat what they're running. Like, like the double drag stuff like you've talked about, has worked really well whenever the defense is trying to contain with hedges. And then whenever they get into drop as a result of, of that working really well, because they're, you know, bringing defenders out of the paint, they're getting good drives or rolls off of it. When the defense tries to drop, then they go into like their Oklahoma action where the second screener for the, the ball screen, then instead of rolling, he goes and sets a pin down screen for the first screener or they get into veer action or, or different things. So like, they'll have alignments out of horns or with the double drag or five out where it's not just that every time they're in double drag, they're attacking one kind of defense. They have all of these plays out of double drag that attack different types of defenses. So as a defense, if you're trying to defend them, you can't say, oh, you know what? They're in, dr- they're in double drag. We know they can't beat this kind of defense. You, you just won't be able to anticipate that until it's too late. And I think that's another really smart element of how the Lakers are running their offense. They've, they've built in, you know, one or two of each coverage beater within the same formation, basically. Yeah. And another note, and maybe this leads into another topic here, but I love how they're like using players' skill sets to their advantage, especially like, for example, Lonnie Walker out of Chicago action. They did it a couple times last night. Uh, it just in general in the preseason. And also great to hear that, He's uh he'll be sticking around, but his fluidity coming off of pin downs and things that nature. He had a couple of really nice mid-range jump shots um in that game. I know you, I haven't been the biggest Lonnie Walker fan, especially defensively. 
and you've talked a ton, especially on Basketball Index, uh, about how he grades out. What are your thoughts on Lonnie and uh, how he's played so far? He was one of the guys that I, I think people got most upset about with me talking about this offseason because, you know, a lot of his numbers in San Antonio weren't weren't particularly good. He adds value, and I, you know, showed the data, I showed the film of him on ball, driving, getting to the rim, attacking in the mid-range, operating off of ball screens. He has talent there, and he does a pretty good job. The concern I had with him was on a team like the Lakers, where the ball often won't be in his hands, the things he's good at don't really match the role he'll probably have. He'll probably be standing around off ball. And my assumption there has changed now because we've seen how rather than, you know, the on-ball guys being on-ball and the off-ball guys being off-ball, the offense that's interchangeable one through five instead that we've been shown with emotion and in some of the set plays is giving multiple players an opportunity to attack within a possession. You, you don't see, like last year you could have guys like, a Kent Bazemore out there who can't dribble and can't play make, but he could stand in the corner, catch and shoot a three. He would not fit within this offense. Um, whereas you got, you have guys on this team, like Pat Beverly, Lonnie Walker, Austin Reeves, um, who maybe you don't want being your lead playmaker in a, in a normal offense. But with this offense, the fact that they have that capability l lends itself to success with how, you know, we're creating secondary and tertiary scoring attack so that like optimization of personnel works really well and that has risen Lonnie's stock has gone up in my eyes from that perspective and then defensively for him has been really where he struggled in the past a lot of it had to do with off-ball rotational defense and not not as much chasing around off-ball screens he's actually pretty good at that I think in a chaser defensive role one of the seven defensive roles we have we have at b-ball index he would fit in pretty well but just rotating um, you know, when when a defender on the weak side goes to trap the box and stop a drive, him rotating down to help the helper or being the third guy to zone up weak side, those sorts of things, he just was not doing well. And rather than needing to do any of that for this team, at least so far, we've seen them really not ask anything of their weak side defenders rotationally other than uh, the next guy in the perimeter, if there's a drive middle, stunting over to try to stop a, a drive or you know, tagging a roller high. So we've seen a guy with the same skill set be asked to do the things he's bad at way, way less than he has in the past. So he's one of the biggest winners for me preseason wise, it, just in terms of what Darvin Ham has done and how that, you know, plays to his strengths and plays away from him. So I see him as a big riser for me and someone that should get some rotation minutes. Whereas a couple of weeks ago, I was, I was worried to be frank. No, and, and your worries are completely justified. You know, like you said, even a few weeks ago, or like in uh, training camp, if you asked me, like, Sean, which of the guards aren't going to play? My answer probably would have been Lonnie Walker. And I think right now, the way he's playing and like how they're limiting putting him in situations defensively, like you mentioned brilliantly there, Tim, where he's not going to be successful. Like now Lonnie's one of the guys that you're like, eh, he's probably going to get minutes, right? Um, and he's, he's looked good and we brought up Austin Reese as well. And like, that's why, you know, in this offense where he'll get plenty of opportunities to be a secondary playmaker, facilitator out of ball screens and high pick and roll. I mean, he said, uh, in, in an interview with the, with myself at Trevor Lane, like, Hey, I want to be a point guard eventually uh, that, or that is a goal of his. And he definitely shows the flashes offensively. And, um, I, I think this scheme 
at least it makes it a little bit like more justifiable to have this many cards. I still disagree with it, but like they're all of them, like you mentioned, where in a system where they're not going to be just spot up guys um, like last season, you're actually going to use them and their abilities to create and put pressure on the rim and in high pick and rolls. It does make a little bit more sense why you have so many guards like Austin Reeves, Lonnie Walker, Russ, obviously, Dennis Schroeder, Pat Bev. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does make a little bit more sense. And uh, yeah, Lonnie's been good. And is glad, again, glad to know that he's uh, his injury isn't too, too bad. Yeah, I I, I agree there. Uh, Reeves is a good fit. He's a good on-ball player. He's a good off-ball player. I think he'll shoot better from three this year than he did in the past. And I really dug into his film this offseason from last year when he was running ball screens. And then also in college, he ran the second most ball screens of any Power 5 Division one basketball player his senior year at college. Mm-hmm. He was yeah. the like one of the most pick and roll heavy guys in in the country. Um, and we didn't see that his first year. He did some of it, and when he did it, his technique was good. He had good results. He was one of the most effective players on the team, better than Russ, better than a lot of other players, better than Monk. Um, and he was also the Lakers offense when he was initiating possessions was way more effective than like pretty much anyone on the team because he can read the floor fast, he makes good decisions, and he's not out there trying to just score every time. He's trying to make the right play and have the team score. So that's that's a big plus with him. And uh, in terms of, you know, running a lot of guards, offensively it's fine. You know, we're leaning into using the ball handling. Defensively is where it, it gets a bit iffy and where I um, <laughs> I start to worry about it. But offensively, it's it's worked okay so far. Well, yeah, let's talk about it. So defensively so far... We're five preseason games in. Uh, Darvin Ham saying they're going to be running the quote-unquote because it's freaking drop. But uh, center field ball screen coverage. Um, how First off, how would you evaluate the defense so far through five games, Tim? And um, are, is the fact that we've only seen the center field ball screen defense concern you at all? Or are you like kind of in the same wavelength as I am? Like it's preseason. I wouldn't expect him to show his full bag of tricks. And I think he will lean into some more versatility with his coverages as the season goes on. So, so far it's been, it's been fine. Like they've really hammered home that one coverage and I think they've done a pretty good job with it. They're executing better than we've seen the team execute in preseason in the past defensively. However, I, I, don't know that the lineups they're throwing out there make a ton of sense when they're going too small. Um, Rebounding is a concern for me. When you're in drop all the time, you're not going to be forcing as many turnovers. So that's a concern for me. And leaning into drop as much as they are, and as much as really any coach would be, is you know predicated upon the assumption that when we run drop, we will defend the rim and we are going to force the other team to take hard pull up through two pointers or maybe some hard pull-up three-pointers. And that's fine when the other team's not running any plays. But you could run good plays to create real good advantages against drop. And if that's the only pitch you're able to throw out there, you're in trouble. So they've done a good job with it. But if it's the only thing they're using this year, if they're using it 80% of the time this year, I have concerns and I think it caps the defense. Because to my earlier point, some of the, well, more and more NBA teams know how to attack coverages. And if you're running the same thing all the time, it makes it real, real easy. Uh, It's also a tough thing to do if you're facing just dynamic guards. If you're facing a Dame Lillard, Steph Curry, lots of those 
guys in the West, uh, Jamal Murray, that can pull up and hit threes, that makes it more difficult to run trap. And uh, so for that reason, you want to be able to play multiple different coverages. And I have a, I, my patience is wearing thin, but I'm still trying to be patient because we've seen the team install so much offensively that the way right. I'm, you know, optimistically framing it in my head is, okay, they're, they're right now they're focused offense and they'll build out the defense later. I don't, I don't think I agree with the idea of like hiding anything for the regular season defensively. Like you, you, what are you, you're hiding, you're hiding catch edging, you're hiding show and recover. Like, you know, sure. that's not, there's no secret sauce there. Like you, those are just things you want to build in and, and, you know, improve execution upon. So I want to see it. If we don't see it, I have some major red flags for this team and where they can go. But if they do start to build out other coverages, I, I feel good about the team. And one last point with this, it also impacts how we're looking at different players. AD and Damian Jones are two guys that, from my perspective and looking at the data we have at B-Ball Index, they're not at their best in drop coverage. AD is good enough that he's good in anything, but he's kind of average in drop and he's very good running more mobile coverages. Damian Jones right. is not so hot in drop and he's very good at mobile coverages, one of the best last season. Um, Thomas Bryant... He's more of a drop big, so we're kind of seeing him a bit optimized um, relative to, to what he could look like. But if the Lakers do start installing more mobile coverages, expect to see Thomas Bryant look worse. Expect to see Damian Jones and AD rise. And then also, if you're running more aggressive coverages and you need more rotating behind it, then suddenly the Lonnie Walkers, the Dennis Schroeders, the Russell Westbrooks that don't rotate well off ball, they're going to be exposed a bit, a bit more too. So keep that in mind as we're trying to evaluate who's played well so far, because certain guys are good at certain things and some of them have been asked to do things they're good at. Some of them have been asked to do things they're bad at. And uh, you know, we've seen deficiencies or strengths hidden as well based on how the team's been playing so far. Yeah. I, I think those are all fair points provided Tim. And then one more take about the drop coverage that the Lakers have been so heavily running. Um, I do think that some of the ball screen navigation is not helping either. Like, for example, last night against Minnesota, um, well, at the time of recording last night, um, it felt like there were some uh, too many possessions where the guard would get caught under the screen, which, I mean, in drop, you just can't let that happen. Um, mm -hmm. Or at least from my personal experience, like you much so much would rather lock and trail and then have the drop than go underneath. So like go under a screen on Steph Curry and drop. Like that's you're just like shooting yourself on the foot there. Um, so I think some of our guards and their ball screen nav haven't been that great, but I do agree with you that if you're only going to be running drop this season, um, you, there's just a certain cap you have on the defense while it hides some of the deficiencies of some of your, uh, weaker guards like Lonnie and Russ and on the defensive end anyway, like you also mentioned there, Tim, like. 80, 80 is good at almost anything defensively, but like you're not maximizing his potential on that end of the floor. And then Damian Jones as well. Um, I don't think like maximizing Thomas Bryant, for an example, is enough of a reason, you know, to like only run drop. Mm. Yep. I, good call out with the ball screen navigation. They've not done a great job of even forcing the offensive players to actually use the screen, which is another that thing that like that's job number one. You know, you want to fight around the screen well, but you also don't want to just 
allow them to reject it and get it to the get to the rim easier. That's when you wreck ball screens. That's when players get to the rim at the highest frequencies as pick and roll ball handlers. So you want to at least you know push them towards the where the defense is expecting them to go, and that hasn't been great. You know, actually fighting or covering hasn't been fantastic. We've seen some decent like back pressure, but that's. I don't know. That's kind of like the bare minimum of what you want to do. You'd love to see some guys like for as many things as I was upset about with Avery Bradley last season, he was one of the better guys at getting around screens and then just negating the action. So you, you like, you know, you can use the screen, but he's still in front of you. We need to see a bit more of that from the Laker guards. And that's something that some of the guys, I just, we have, I don't want to say they don't have it in them, but we haven't seen them do it with any degree of frequency throughout their careers. Right. Um, starting to wind things down a little bit here, but uh, Tim, how worried should Laker fans and how worried are you about the defensive rebounding so far? So many games so far, we've been killed on the glass. So, how much does that concern you after five games? It's concerning, it's a real thing. Uh, it's you know, who you the lineups you throw out there are going to dictate how you do. And whenever you're playing Anthony Davis at the five and like LeBron James at the four, you're, you're going to have a tough time rebounding against a lot of teams. Um, we've seen throughout his career, Anthony Davis has been a less effective and his teams have done worse when he is a center defensively, uh, with the one exception being that title team where they had big, big players at just about every position and they were able to be very versatile. And even that season, he primarily played power forward defensively, um, center offensively is where he adds a lot of value because, well, the the reason is really easy is because you take a non-shooter off the court which has been most of the centers he's played with in his career. So uh, unless shooting center, like a Miles Turner, um, you you know, 80 at the center works offensively, but defensively uh, it gives you trouble. And rebounding is one place you see that when you have, you know, like Gabriel out there, Gabriel out there at the five, that's going to hurt you. JTA out there at the four, that's going to hurt you. Like if you can have Jones or Bryant at center, then Anthony Davis at power forward or Gabriel at power forward, and then LeBron or JTA at the three. I think that's where you can hold your own, but I don't see this team being a team that has lineups that are dominant on the boards. And I do see them probably throwing out a good number of lineups a game that just are weak on the boards as they're trying to make up spacing on the offensive end by removing some of the weaker shooters. Yeah, I I agree. I do think it is a real thing. I mean, they're not boxing out that much often either, but I do think the size, even if they were boxing out, the defensive glass would be a concern. Um, Tim, I, I've tweeted this out. I'm curious on your thoughts. There's only two teams in the Western Conference right now that in a seven-game playoff series I'm, like, legitimately scared about. It's the Clippers and the Grizzlies. Golden State, I like our shot. I'm not saying like we can't beat Memphis or the Clippers, but do you, where do you fall on that? How many teams, if you look down the West, like, ah, oh man, like I'm having nightmares, maybe not nightmares to the LeBron AD, but you get what I'm saying. Uh, I mean, I'm not having nightmares, but the team, as we've seen it so far with the guys playing as they have with the scheme, the way it is today, like, I don't, I mean, there are several teams in the West, like Clippers, the Warriors, I think the Warriors are going to be worse than last year, but the Warriors, I don't, I wouldn't feel great about. The Grizzlies, I wouldn't feel fantastic about. Utah, oh no, I'm sorry, not Utah. <laughs> Definitely not Utah. Uh, Minnesota is one that you know I think they've got they've got some really interesting stuff going on. They're going to have really good scheme. They have a lot of versatility in terms of how they can play. Um, 
Denver is, this is probably going to be the best Denver team we've ever seen out of Denver if they stay healthy. So they're, they're going to be an interesting one. So I I can see, I mean, in a seven game series, I think we're probably going to be able to find holes and talk ourselves into this Lakers team against most teams. Um, Clippers, another one you mentioned that I should make sure I mentioned, but in a regular season setting, it's really, really tough to see them getting higher than like the six seed unless things really, really click into place or other teams get really, really injured. I haven't even mentioned Phoenix. The vibes are bad, um, but we've seen what they can do in the past. So I, you know, we'll, we'll see what that looks like as well. But I don't know. I I don't think this is a title team as is right now. I just don't think it is. Russ hasn't shown me that he's really improved his game. Um, the there's aren't shooting the way some people were hoping they could. Um, the defensive scheme isn't where it needs to be yet. Like there are a lot of holes right now. And thankfully, this team has 82 games to figure it out. And there's still opportunity to make trades, make additions, have guys break out. But as of right now, today, I don't think, I, I think it would be irrational to think this is a title team. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think there's just too much unknown or like, or too mm-hmm. many flaws. Like, although we're really optimistic about the offense, it is still like five preseason games. But I, I think like, I'm still severely optimistic about like, even the, the good stuff to be excited about, man. It's just not a, not enough of a full sample size yet. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and then it, you go ahead. And, and I was going to say, like, I believe the offense is going to be really good schematically. Yeah. I think schematically I'm bought in. I don't think what we've seen is just going to suddenly disappear. I truly believe what they're doing. There's purpose behind it. It's smart. It's like, I believe in it. But I also believe we're going to see a good number of games where the Lakers generate great shots and then just can't make them similar to what we've seen in some of these preseason games. Like the three point shooting just isn't good. Um, And so that is going to hurt the team. So, you know, I will probably enjoy the sets I'm seeing. And if you could just stop every play before the ball, you know, as soon as the ball leaves the player's hands, I'm going to be like, Oh, that's a good offense. But uh, it's that last, you know, second, you know, after the ball leaves their hands, that really makes or breaks whether or not the team is good or not. All righty. Two la- last two things before we get you out of here. Tim, again, appreciate you so much hopping on. Is there, has there, you've broken down again. You have the whole Lakers playbook, over 43 sets from half court and out of bounds. By the way, they they actually ran some decent zone stuff last night, which again, uh, a very much a welcome sight. Um, and then obviously their motion offense. Is there like a particular set or something they've ran so far offensively that you like the most? Or are you just like, everything just so far looks incredible? Oh gosh, I would say, and I'm a sucker for certain things. Uh, when I am consulting with teams at the college or professional levels, there are certain like combinations of actions that like I will make sure I include in there. And I really enjoy when the team will run some sort of initial screen where a shooter ends up underneath the rim as a ball screen is happening so that either you can have the shooter then run out to one of the corners for an exit screen with the with the corner player kind of stepping towards the rim to set the screen for them as a kick out option, which opens up it either occupies help defense and opens up a nice uh, lane for a roller or the drive. Or if the help defense does stay there to stop the primary attack, it gives you really good kick out options. So those uh, you know ball screen with an exit screen plays have been some of my favorites, and then kind of playing off of that. If you have that shooter starting underneath the rim as the ball screen is happening, you're also perfectly set up to run a stack or you might hear it called Spain action where 
the shooter then will either back screen for the roller or receive a down screen from the roller, or maybe they just exchange places. Those sorts of actions also start from the same setup. And I'd say though, I mean, we've seen, we've seen four veer plays already. Uh, we've seen several different exit screen plays. We've seen, I think three or four different setups for stack action. Like there's been some really good stuff. And I'd say those are my, my favorite two concepts so far. Yeah. And seeing the exit screen stuff has been awesome. They ran it a couple of times out of, out of zipper, um, out of horns mm-hmm. too. Just, just the way they get into the stuff, it, it, it especially is what's more exciting for me personally. Um, and then, yeah, like seeing the creative play design, how they can get into like stack action um, or I, I'm typically more so say Spain, but yeah, stack, same thing. Um, overall, man, I'm just pumped up. And then uh, last thing we do whenever we have a guest on the show, Tim, is we do a thing called flip the table. We're basically uh, I flip my table. And now if you want to throw anything out to me, ask any questions or any guests rather. Um, so Tim, flip the table. If not, we'll wrap it up here. Cool. Okay. I I guess I'll ask you, looking at the offense, you know, we've seen a lot of really good stuff. We've seen them attack coverages better than in the past and build out a motion offense and all these different things. What are you still looking for them to like add to the, to the repertoire uh, offensively from an X's and O's standpoint? Uh, That's a really good question. Um, Maybe maybe I have an answer if you can't think of anything. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I'm a sucker for like a, a ton of delay actions and maybe I'm just missing a couple and maybe I should actually study your playbook that you dropped, but I don't know, man. I, I like to see number like some more creative stuff. I like delay in the half court. Maybe this, this, you throw this into your motion offense, 80 pops out towards the top of the key. And then maybe you can run some back screen actions. You can run a flare and a slip action all that side and into a weak side, uh, an empty side pick and roll. Um, they've also done, a, a, also kind of saw this coming with how they did in Milwaukee. They used, the, they utilized the high post a ton, especially on the left side for AD. Um, and that also, I really, really quickly, that is something that's really, really encouraging is how the off ball movement is. Even when AD, uh, posts up or LeBron posts up and isolates on one side of the court. It's not just like standing around and waiting for LeBron to do something like we've seen in the past. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm a sucker for delay action. So again, maybe I'm missing it. Um, but that's probably what I say. That's a good answer. No, you're, you're not really missing it. The only stuff that I I've seen so far that I have diagrammed that I think you could categorize as delay, I guess from a five out standpoint with, you know, ball, being dribbled up the wing past the top of the key to the to a big i've seen i think two plays out of that and both of them have led right into either chicago action or like a chicago action that's rejected and flung into a dribble handoff with an exit screen weak side which i like but um only a couple plays they certainly have more room for installing there another one that uh, i really like to call out on is how they're elevating posts up or isolations we've seen a number Mm -hmm. of plays this year that make it difficult for the defense to have like 10 eyes on whoever's posting up and be able to help and be in the right position at the right time and stunt over and make it make like life difficult because you know, everyone else is just going to stand still and they're going to be where you left them. Um, and oftentimes last year they were standing close enough together that one player could defend two offensive players on the weak side, just because 
realistically, by the time the ball got swung over there, you could recover to it. This year, we're seeing the team both set up isos and, and post-ups pre-catch. And then once they're in their attack, we're seeing good motion around it. And it's not just move. It's screening and specific types of cuts that compromise the defense's ability to help. So I, I love that call out. One more that I think the only area that I'm not happy with yet is I haven't loved the baseline out of bounds plays. Uh, that's kind of nitpicking, that's more a special teams thing. We've seen them try some stuff. I just haven't really enjoyed it. Uh, that's one spot that if they could just add like maybe like three good plays, I think they're in great shape. You don't have to add a ton there, but so yeah. far it's been kind of mediocre, but so far so good, I'd say big picture. Yeah, from side out, they've ran some pretty decent stuff, but I do agree. Mm-hmm. From from baseline out of bounds, it's uh, definitely been mediocre. But um, Tim, man, I really, really appreciate you for hopping on. Maybe we got to do this sometime mid-season again. But uh, thanks so, so much, man, for hopping on. And uh, uh, if you want to plug anything, obviously you guys do great, great work at B-Ball Index. So, yeah, man, appreciate so much for hopping on. Yeah, of course. Uh, thanks for having me. Go check out the playbook that I put together. If you if you follow me on Twitter or want to follow me, I'm at Tim underscore NBA. Uh, my name on Twitter is Cranges McBasketball. So if you just Google that, I'll pop up. Um, you can find the playbook. It's it's pinned to my profile and you'll find, I think, what is it right now? Uh, 32 pages and it'll be longer by the end of tonight once I get a chance to rewatch the game and diagram what I didn't see because I was calling the game live, I guess uh, maybe you'll cut this part out because I know you guys do some of these too. I don't want to you know, compete with you, but we'll do no, some. No, you're good. Uh, you're good. I love it. We'll do watch it. parties on. Uh, so I have a podcast, the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. We will focus a lot on the X's and O's of the game, the data of the game, combining it together. All the good teams, all the good coaches, they're you know looking at all the information they can. There's no reason for us to say we can only look at film or only look at data. So we combine them both. And, you know, enjoy watching the game that way. And then we've extended those pods to be also live streams during the games on playback. So uh, it's like playback.tv slash Lakers watch party. I think you can also find that by going to my Twitter profile. And we like to point stuff out during the game and then have fun guests on. Like uh, we've had Alex Regla, Anthony Irwin, Harrison Fagan, Raj Chapalu, Jovan Buha's coming on in a little bit. Um, Lots of different folks. Um, yeah, so it's it's been fun just hanging out. We cannot promise we'll make the game good, but we will make it better. Um, we can't make the, the team win, but even if they're doing poorly or it's a garbage time fourth quarter or something, it's more fun to hang out with the community, have some fun, tell some stories, things like that. And then, uh, like you mentioned, B-Ball Index. Go check it out. Lots of great stuff. Super cheap. Uh, five bucks a month. You can get really good data. Hundreds of metrics that, you know, you don't have to memorize what a good number is or a bad number is. We use percentiles. We use the letter grades. We color code things. We title things, things that make sense, that speak basketball. You like, you know, on-ball defense or a ball screen navigation, help defensive activity or, you know, finishing talent, three-point shooting talent, things like that that mean something. Um, it's, you know, the same caliber data. You know, we consult with NBA teams. We consult with agents. We've helped uh, negotiate contracts from mins to maxes using this, this information. We have a bunch of teams paying for it. We'll give it to you as well for just five bucks a month over at index uh, with a hyphen in between.com go follow them on twitter we got a lot of really good stuff there as well but that's all i got uh thanks again sean for having me this was a lot of fun yeah absolutely man and uh again you guys do great work at b-ball index um quick you know give you guys your flowers you don't really see like a lot of you know analytic sites go so much in detail and how you guys like 
choreographing, explain your defensive roles are awesome. Um, that's just one of the many things you guys can find at people on Dexon. I will say I'm a subscriber. So there we go. Uh, good use hey, of your money, guys. Um, there we go. <laughs> thank you so much, Tim. Really, really appreciate you. Until next time, guys, stay safe. See ya.